Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind Podcast. This is your host, Jack. And as you know, I am absolutely riddled with ADD. And it seems to be getting worse and worse the older I get. Probably all of those concussions I suffered as a child playing sports. Anyway, as everybody knows, well, maybe you don't know, but last year, the end of the month, I always did something more lighthearted, and we talked about music. And about half the time, we ended up talking about incredibly serious songs and incredibly serious bands. But this year, we're talking movies. And today, I have... A super duper guest. It is my wife, Heather. Yay! Yay! So, uh, we are going to talk about what is, I know for a fact, because I had to go and get clips from it, what is one of her <laughs> favorite movies of all time, uh, namely because she has the hots for the second lead. It's not one of my favorite. It is my favorite movie. Uh, uh, I was, okay. So anyway, why don't you tell our listening friends uh, what that movie is, and I will let you uh, get into it. Okay. It is the 1993 amazingly awesome favorite movie of a lot of people, and it's called Tombstone. So uh, They have a pizza brand named after them. Oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> oh, they're not related? <laughs> no, I don't think so. So, I don't know. I mean, what I say. It's, okay, probably what drew me to it anyway is I grew up watching Westerns because of my dad, you know? So, for me, it's like my childhood, you know, all the stuff that I saw and everything, except that it was way better because it was with actors and actresses that I recognized, not, you know, John Wayne or whatever. <laughs> but... So, I mean, that's probably the main thing that drew me to it. But, yes, the other part is that it has good old Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer, and he is way, way up at the top of my favorites. And he played Doc Holliday amazingly. I, I, I'm not the only one that thinks that just because I, I like him and I think he's hot. But the actual him playing that part and his acting and everything was awesome. Yes. He uh, definitely played the iconic Doc Holliday iconically. <laughs> um, I do feel that his Doc Holliday, is it historically accurate? I have no idea. Well, Does anybody know if it was historically <laughs> How accurate? How would we know? <laughs> How would we know? Unless, I guess, Wyatt Earp wrote about him? I don't know. Anyway. Well, but he, he, I mean, we watched that and he looked like a sick dude. I mean, they did a really good job of making yeah. him look awful. And yet, I, I still couldn't keep my eyes off him. Anyway, <laughs> I can't help it. So, okay, another thing about that movie is the accuracy of it. 
like, I mean, obviously we can't accurately know specifically, you know, what right, right. the conversations were and things like that. One of the cool things is the accuracy of the movie. And what I mean by that, like I said, and it's not about the conversations they had or anything like that, but um, the clothing, like, you know, they're dresses and the way that the guys wore you know their suits and all that stuff their hats the women's hats the guns the um hell their mustaches were even <laughs> you know what i mean yeah were accurate yeah. and that's just it that's attention to detail and that for me because i'm nitpicky about movies i like to i want it to be as accurate as possible if it's representing something that really happened you know what I mean? Yes. So, yes, I do. Um, you know, if it's fantasy or whatever made up, then I don't, I can go, you know, it's whatever. But on that, the fact that their mustaches actually look like they were supposed to, you know, that matters to me. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, and it sounds dumb, but even their bed clothes, you know, the, the way that they made the beds, the quilts and all that, you know what I mean? It, it's right. like it, it actually, was representative of the time and that's cool that makes me like a, a movie and um and then also <laughs> the other thing that was um accurate is like um oh gosh now my brain is not working you know the like the opium use how that was a typical way to resolve issues you know women who were quote unquote hysterical um <laughs> You know, just keep them high, yes. basically. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, why wouldn't so, you? But, you know, and, and it, they touched on that, you know, just the poker and the, all, you know, all of it. It was really cool, the way that the town looked and the way that the bars, you know, and the, the ladies and all of that stuff. It was just, that to me matters in a movie. Right. Um, The cast, holy shit. The cast was amazing. You know, I touched on that a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. Kurt Kurt Russell, of course, Val Kilmer. Um, what was it? Bill Paxton, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Um, Dana Delaney. Yep. And then <laughs> what's his face from Nine Hundred Two One Zero was in yes. it. Yes. Powers Booth was in it. <laughs> um, Jason Priestley is who. Yes, thank you. Um, Billy Zane was in it. Uh, Billy Bob Mike, Thornton. Michael Bean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, he so, played Johnny Rico. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, yeah. To me, that, I mean, shoot. So, so do you want me to play the uh, introduction to one Mr. Doc Holliday? Yes, that would be Of course, everybody yeah. seems to forget that the Doc was actually short for Dockley. Doctor? <laughs> no. It was Dockley Holliday. That was he his went, actual name. He went through dentistry school. He was a doctor. Gosh. I know. Actually. Oh. All right. Well, this is the introduction to one Mr. Doc Holliday, mm -hmm. as portrayed by Valkyl. Isn't that a daisy? Son of a bitch. Billy, just settle down. Shut up. Take your money and get out. Because I'm tired of listening to your mouth. Why, Aunt Bailey, we cross. Guns don't scare me. Without them guns, you ain't nothing but a skinny lunger. 
Dad, what an ugly thing to say. Our poor ugliness. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? You know, Ed, if I thought you were my friend, I just don't think I could bear it. Gone, I'll burn you down. I calculate that's the end of this town. I had a boy at the hotel pack us up. The horse is outside. So that's why you're not wearing a bustle. <laughs> My sweet, soft Hungarian devil. Well, good evening, then. All right, there we go. <laughs> What's yeah. funny is, like, I, I'm seeing every little moment in my head because I don't know how many times I've watched it. <laughs> right, right, because he definitely, uh, when he pulled out his pistol arrows, that guy was not having it. And then Doc was, like, ready to keep on gambling, but mm -hmm. that other guy wasn't going to have any of it. And he ended up uh, being on the wrong end of a knife. Paying for it, yeah. Because <laughs> Doc Holliday did bring a knife to a gunfight. He, <laughs> he, he also brought guns. <laughs> <laughs> True story. I love that, though. You're a daisy if you do. Well, that's later, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> now, that was, well, ain't that a daisy. It ain't that it, yeah. yeah. But I'm assuming you have some others lined up. Oh, I definitely okay. do. Okay, good deal. I definitely do. Uh, um, I fast forward a smidge to the actual battle at the OK Corral, and then, of course, probably uh, my favorite scene in the whole movie later which on is at the end. Probably. Probably other. yours. It's when yeah. he meets up with one Johnny Ringo. Yes. Um, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> but one of the, I guess, most unkept secrets in Hollywood is the fact that even though he is not listed as the director, mm -hmm. apparently the guy that was directing the movie was overwhelmed. And Kurt Russell actually shadow directed that movie. True story. In between scenes, you'd go talk to the director, tell him yada, 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 and then the director would say what he just told him. So it kind of sort of looked like the director directed it. But mm -hmm. And then he, like Kurt Russell, basically made everybody swear to secrecy until mm -hmm. the director died. Right. And then that director died, and then people started coming out with uh, the truth. <laughs> but, but Kurt Russell didn't even um, confirm it until like six years later. Right, it was after, after the that. director guy died, and he no, yeah, but I right. mean, it he, was even like after that, right? Yeah, it was even. But he waited because he didn't want to, even though he really did it. He didn't want to have credit for the guy no. whose name was going to be on there. So, which that's freaking awesome. That is pretty cool. I mean, I like Kurt Russell anyway, but you know, that makes me like him better. <laughs> yeah, he's a a child actor that made good. 
<laughs> right. And did not uh, become a crazed psychopath as so many child actors are wanting to do. <laughs> but so, what do you like about? I mean, I know you've seen the movie a whole bunch of times too. Um, and I don't mean like favorite scenes or anything like that. I just mean like, what do you like about the movie? Can you think of anything? Well, I mean, yeah, I like. I really like that it sort of goes into um, Wyatt Earp mm-hmm. and how he wasn't just some sort of celebrity kind of person. How he, right. he when that happened, he kind of had been, but he doesn't. That wasn't necessarily something that he wanted, and how much he obviously cared for his brothers. Because I would assume that that was probably pretty historically accurate, and he did the uh, Dana Delaney's character. He he did fall madly in love with her right. because they got married, and I believe they got married, but they spent the rest of their lives together. So mm-hmm. he clearly actually did love her. And then, of course, the Academy Award-winning performance of Jason Jason Priestley. <laughs> I, I joke, he, he did a pretty good job in that movie. I'm just being funny. Well, but, he was um, kind of just a blip, though. He was a, didn't win right. in it very much. Right. And then um, it does sort of play on the fact that, because um, they all, ha- all of the, the bad guy gang, whatever they were, had that red sla- uh, sash mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. sort of had on there. And just like, that's a detail that in a lot of older tellings, of OK Corral or whatever is something that's frequently skipped, you know. Yeah. In that, so plus the performances are really good, and there's not a lot of extra slow, drawn out acting like in Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp that came right. out like six months later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tombstone just flows better for me than um, the other one did. Well, and it. It, yeah, it keeps your attention better. Um, yeah. But it still tells the story, like like what you were saying as far as, um, you know, about Wyatt Earp, too, is like, you know, how much he cared, actually, and not just a gunfight dude, you know, or anything like that. It was... Yeah. It, it told the story of relationships and, you know, between brothers and friends and, well, enemies, too. You know what I mean? It's... Yeah. That's That's what I like. A lot about it too is that it 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 told a story and not just a it didn't have a lot of filler like right. others do. Yeah. Now, when they go and actually battle at the OK Corral, which is probably oh, what a third of the way into the movie, maybe it's not mm-hmm. quite half when the actual right. battle happens, or maybe it is. I don't know because then after that is when he goes on his war, killing all those people. <laughs> I mean, bringing justice. Well, yeah. But I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they were as reluctant to get into the gunfight as it shows in Tombstone. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if that's the case. And honestly, probably no one really knows. But, I mean, he's the hero of the movie. So you got to make it look like they, whether he did or not in real life, you have to make your hero in the movie look like he didn't want to be in the gunfight. So, there's that. There's that. <laughs> and speaking of the gunfight, I have this short little blurb. It's right at the end. Uh, Doc Holliday gets the final the final shot in. And um, it also 
has one of uh, Heather's favorite lines. So let me uh, let me play this bad boy real quick. I got you now, you son of a bitch. You're a daisy if you do. There you go. There's your line. You're a daisy if you do. That is way up there on my favorites. But it's not my most favorite. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm familiar. I know you're familiar. It's just these people that are listening. Our listening friends, they don't know. <laughs> oh. Some of them might. Well, the few that know you, or claim to know you, might. You know. I was looking up some stuff, um, because, I mean, I know a lot about the movie, obviously. But just because I've watched it a bajillion times doesn't mean I know, like, all the weird little things. I knew that about Kurt Russell being the kind of sort of director, or helping director, you know. But I looked up another thing, and it said that uh, Willem Dafoe almost played Doc Holliday. And I'm like, ew, no. <laughs> that's that's kind of funny because... That would have changed well, it for me. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely would have changed it. But in the movie I'm going to talk about, uh, Willem Dafoe was also up for one of the uh, leads. In the movie I'm going to talk about that I didn't know about until I was... Uh, researching this and in both cases i think the movie would have been completely and totally different <laughs> and not ended up being what it was so i guess it well, worked out the the other part of that too as far as who might have or almost played somebody um was mickey rourke was offered the role of johnny ringo and he turned it down i mean mickey rourke's a great actor but i, I like the direction it went Oh, well, obviously, me too. But, I mean, he was actually offered it, and he turned it down. So, you know, I'm like, whew, glad he did, because, I mean. Yeah, because that was pre-boxing face Mickey Rourke, Yeah, too, yeah, this it? was, oh, yeah. Oh, well, cause no. It, no, it was, oh, it no, was post, it was post, because that was in the 90s. <laughs> it was so, 93 yeah. when it came out, so they would have been filming, you know, a couple of years before that or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're so. right. That was that was post messed up face <laughs> from boxing Mickey Rourke. So yeah, now the uh, Michael Bean playing Johnny Ringo is perfect casting in my opinion. Oh, I think I think everybody they had I do too. cast in this movie is just really really good. Well, but you know, once you kind of cemented that into your head too, you can't really see anybody else. Or I can't. Um, well, you yeah, know, it's hard to. Imagine putting anybody right. else in those places. That performance gets stuck in your head, and that's sort of what you go with. And, um, you know, in this case, it's it came out before ERP with Kevin Costner. So, mm-hmm. And they came out so close together that you kind of had the Tombstone characters fresh in your mind. And so you were watching ERP, and you're just like, eh. It's, it's the same thing with Armageddon and Deep Impact. They're both movies about an asteroid coming to destroy the Earth, but Armageddon came out first, so that's the one everybody likes. Yeah. And then there was the uh, the two volcano movies that came out. There was Dante's Peak with Pierce Brosnan. Oh, wow, yeah. And um, Sarah Connor. I can't think of her name. And then there was the other one, though, that took place in L.A. that had um, Anne Heche, rest in peace, and... Um, what is it, Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah. yeah. Oh. 
But oh, those were, I remember that. Yeah, they were the two volcano movies that came out I within don't six months. They came out in the same year. Yeah, I can't think of the name either, but... Yeah, so, yeah, that and what happens generally, though, is the movie that comes out first eight times out of ten is the one that everybody sort of recognizes mm-hmm. as the... Right, well, that's true. The better but, one. Okay, so I've got one more little tidbit, little information, okay. um, and then and then we can talk about quotes probably, but... <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'll just play the, the next clip. <laughs> well, okay, so this other thing was... Okay, there's a headstone, right? You know, in, in the opening scene, and I don't know who has it memorized like I do, but... Um, I remember there's a headstone that they kind of pause on and you see it. And um, it says, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. Right. Um, That's not a movie magic thing. Um, That's actually a headstone in a Tombstone, Arizona cemetery that says that. Cool. (laughs) That's obviously not the actual one, but um, they replicated it and put it in the movie. That's pretty cool. And I thought that was really cool. But <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's as far as little apparently there's lots of little easter eggs in Tombstone and I probably know them, but probably. But I'm I don't know that I know them because Wasn't it uh getting back on earlier when you're talking about the addiction? She was, his, his mm-hmm. wife was addicted to lithium in that movie, right? Opium. Opium, but I Yeah. Okay, for some reason I was thinking that she was taking uh, lithium. No, it was opium. You know. Yeah, opiates have been an issue for a very, very long time. (laughs) Well, I know. And then every time they go to create a new opiate to get you unaddicted to the previous one, it's actually stronger than the thing thing, which just makes it worse. But at that time, you just got it and just drank it, apparently. Uh, The glory days. Just when you could drink your whiskey and... Chase it down with some opium. Oh my god. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, I'm sure I'm not those, alone. Those and... damn teetotalers have to go and ruin it for you, <laughs> for us. Think of all the fun we could have been having. Oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure that I'm not alone in my love of Tombstone. I'm sure there's lots of people. And I'm sure there's lots of people who are like me. Yeah. You know, you that's you know. fine. Not your thing. If you're a listener and you're a millennial or Gen Z, you should go and give this movie a chance. Because if you do, you'll get to hear something as amazing as this scene between Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo. Oh, it's the best. It is the best. Yes. Although, quick setup, Johnny Ringo thought Wyatt Earp was coming. Right. And then sickly... Oh, for anybody who doesn't know, which I can't imagine... Doc Holliday had tuberculosis. He was pretty yes. much dying for a very long time. He looked, you know, frail and awful, and he coughed up blood and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. And so, any, every, you know, a lot of people saw him as a weak, couldn't do anything kind of guy. And basically what it comes down to is he didn't give a shit because he was dying anyway. So it didn't matter right. what he put himself into. Yeah, and on this particular scene, the reason he was a little surprised, um, spoiler alert for a 30-year-old movie, um, he had been in the hospital, they thought, dying like two days before this. So, yeah. so anyway. Uh, so a lot of people thought he was dead. 
or yeah. on his way out. Right. So here we go. Well. I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why, Johnny Ringo. You look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. <clears throat> Play for blood, remember? I was just fooling about. I wasn't. <laughs> and this time, it's legal. A real one, not like Herschel Walker's. <laughs> All right, longer. Let's do it. They're giving each other the eyeball right now. And their fingers are almost touching their guns. I'm afraid the strain was more than he could bear. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> if I have it correct, isn't a huckleberry somebody that was like a pole bear back in the day? Um. It had something to do with funerals. Technically, yes. Um, but apparently it had dual meaning. So it, it could mean I'm your guy. I'm the uh -huh. one. I'm your dude. I'm I'm your guy. Okay. Um, but yes, Huckleberry was also used as a term for a pallbearer. So, All right. So um, I, I'm assuming that when Doc Holliday was saying it to Johnny Ringo, he meant it in the... I'm your guy. I'll be here. Yeah. Um, the other, I, I wrote down a couple other quotes that I don't think you have to play. I'm not sure. No, that, that's the extent that's okay. of my uh, tombstone. Okay. One of my <laughs> favorite quotes from Doc Holliday is, I would like to apologize to anyone I have not yet offended. I will get to you eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, see, when you see that <laughs> meme, it's been around for a long-ass time. It's Doc Holliday that said it. <laughs> and then uh, 
the other one was, sir, if I am to be insulted, I must first value your opinion. <laughs> That's also something that you see frequently in memes. So, And then the last one, which isn't Doc Holliday, believe it or not, was Wyatt. And I know a lot of people quote this or have seen this is when he's like, you tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Right, right. Just that one's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hell's always so much better to bring than heck. True story. And he did not bring heck. He definitely brought hell because he, the last time, the next time there was a murderous rampage of revenge like Wyatt Earps was uh, Sterling Archer from the documentary series, document, documentary series Archer. Documentary series? Okay. Yeah, well, they threw everybody off by making it a cartoon. Make an animated series. Huh? Yeah, that way nobody would realize that it was a documentary. Because he went on the murderous rampage when he got uh, breast cancer. Right. That is true. He did. <laughs> I think those are the two great revenge-filled murderous rampages in history. I mean, and they're so alike. Very much so. Very <laughs> much so. All right. So um, that's, I guess, what I have to say about Tombstone. All right. Well, yeah. I like... I- I haven't actually seen Tombstone in probably forever, and now I'm probably going to... There's a DVD, a special edition in there. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> couldn't even tell you the last time we watched a DVD, because everything streams now. Well, Fire, we don't even have a DVD player. We have my Xbox, and if we were to want to watch a movie, we haven't done it in so long. We're probably like five updates for the dvd <laughs> part of the xbox behind and it would take like six hours to <laughs> upload it's probably true <laughs> now remember a few months ago i say a few months ago probably a year ago um i got out the special edition one that i have and right, i watched I all the behind the scenes stuff and all that stuff. okay anyway well, anyway well there we go so yeah but you know what movie doesn't have a special edition box set DVD or Blu-ray. I wish it did. And that would be the movie that I'm going to talk to uh, talk about. But <laughs> first, before we do that, we are going to go for a slight ad break. Be back in a sec. Hey, listening friends, Jack here. And I would like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode. And that sponsor is Atlas. Atlas is a branding, web development, and content marketing agency. As a business owner, your day-to-day is uncharted enough. From branding and web design to content marketing, Atlas will help you navigate this digital terrain with ease. In today's world, social media is a great tool. However, you need to have a concrete, focused plan on how to use it. And that's where Atlas comes in. Atlas can help you navigate this modern digital world. And on top of that, Atlas can also help you with traditional means of marketing. So if you would like to book your free consultation, please visit atlasokc.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-O-K-C.com for your free consultation. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that beautiful ad read by me. And if you didn't, I don't want to hear about it. So there is that. But we're going to talk about 
a movie that's one of my all-time favorite movies, and I'm sure that this means that I am some sort of sociopath crazy person, because this movie is meant to be a incredibly dramatic, serious film, and I find it to be one of the funniest movies ever. Well, hey, I married you after knowing this. <laughs> right? <so. laughs> it It's just because the the story is kind of over the top. The acting is either over the top or underdone, like low-key acting. But mm-hmm. it has all of these people that at the time were sort of, with the exception of uh, the the character that I'm going to talk about, because he's one of my favorite characters, but it was like Kyle McLaughlin's second role because he had been in Dune. Uh, this movie's directed by um, David Lynch, and then it has Laura Dern in it as well, one of her first roles. Harry Dean Stanton is in this film, but it has one of my all-time favorite actors in it, and that is Dennis Hopper, who's playing the crazed, deranged <laughs> Frank Booth. Um, Frank Booth is such a insane, horrible villain that he is number 36 on AFI's list of the top 50 film villains of all time. You haven't said the name yet. Uh, but nine. But this movie <laughs> is called Blue Velvet. And I, I don't, I just, there's so many just weird things about this movie that shouldn't be funny, but it is funny. And apparently people on SNL thought that it was funny. Because that same year, Dennis Hopper hosted Saturday Night Live, and they had a skit called Frank Booth's What's That Smell? Because in the movie, the psychopath that he plays has some sort of gas tank that he keeps in his jacket pocket, and he pulls a mask out, and he starts huffing whatever this gas is. And then he really goes nuts. Pre-gas, Frank Booth is nuts. Post-gas, Frank Booth is even worse. (laughs) And there are so many quotable lines in this film from Frank Booth that are just incredible, but you cannot say them around anyone that's like, say, under 16. (laughs) There's a a lot of variations of of fucking in there. (laughs) So That word is used quite a bit. Yeah, so sort of a rundown on the movie is um, it starts off, dude's watering his lawn. He has a heart attack. He falls on the ground. He's still holding the hose. His dog's jumping in the water trying to get a drink. And you're just like, well, that's different. Morbid but funny. (laughs) Yeah, so the the guy has a heart attack, and this is the 80s, so it's not like now you have a heart attack and you're home two days later. Um, So his son, Comic Laughlin, comes home from college, and he's, walking through this field on his way back from the hospital, and he looks down, and he finds a human ear. And that's how this movie starts. It has ants crawling on it. Yeah. And so he finds some trash that's a bag, and he puts the human ear in it, and he does what most people would do, and that is take it to the police. And this sort of plays into the what I was talking about, how a lot of the acting in here is just like, off or low key. It's almost like the actors weren't necessarily sure what to think of it. So here's that scene when um, he goes to the cop. 
Yes. My name is Jeffrey Beaumont. I live near you. I believe you know my father, Tom Beaumont, Beaumont's hardware store. Sure, I do. I understand he's in the hospital. How's he doing? He's okay, I guess. I hope. They're doing tests. That's why I'm home from school. Anyway, I was at the hospital this morning and coming home from the field behind our neighborhood, there behind Vista, I uh, found an ear. You did? A human ear? Yeah, I thought I should bring it to you. That's right. Let's take a look at it. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. <laughs> See what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. That's a human ear, all right. <laughs> it's very, it's very Frank Drebin sounding. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I understand that he's a cop, but you think that somebody would be like, and you found it in a field? <laughs> Doesn't that make you think of airplane words? <laughs> sort of, yeah. It, it is almost played like the fake seriousness of Leslie Nielsen in the Naked right? Gun. It, it, that is kind of how yep, it comes off. That's an yeah. ear. <laughs> Well, especially when you're listening to it and not actually watching it. Yeah. So Laura Dern's character is the daughter of that detective and Jeffrey Beaumont goes to talk to her. They do some digging Scooby-Doo style that they probably shouldn't do. And he realizes that there's this somehow this lounge singer that might be involved and he has to he just can't stop digging into this case. So he rents a exterminator suit to go in and like spray her house for bugs and he's in there and then she figures out that he's full of shit and uh she has some issues <laughs> some pretty strong issues going on here and she's basically even though she lives in her own apartment and everything she's basically being held captive by the aforementioned frank booth oh, yeah. and <laughs> um well mr beaumont is in there Frank Booth's character comes into the room, and some things happen that I was going to play the clip, but mm, mm, I decided not to, uh, just because it is sort of, it's not BDSM, it's SM. It's, it's a little strong. <laughs> it's, it's the sadomasochistic right. part of the BDSM, and it's not, that part is a serious, not funny part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the film. So I'm not going yeah, to... that part is disturbing. Yeah, I'm not going to play that. But as it goes on, uh, Jeffrey Beaumont can't stop. He sort of ends up in this weird sexual relationship uh, with the lounge singer. Her name is Dorothy Vallon. And all of this stuff happens. Basically, Frank Booth finds out about uh, Jeffrey Beaumont, basically kidnaps, drags him about the town for the day. And as you're watching this, you're thinking, uh, Jeffrey's about to... Mm. Probably not going to make it, even though you know he's the lead and he's going to. You still think that he's not. And as it goes on, <laughs> you discover that Frank Booth's character is far worse than you thought. Mm -hmm. And they go to see uh, Harry Dean Stanton's character. Frank Booth is a drug-dealing gangster. And Harry Dean Stanton owns some weird bar thing that's going on. And they're about to go in uh, to Harry Dean Stanton's place. And... He uh, asked Jeffrey Beaumont this question, which I still quote to this day, <laughs> even though I do not like either. So here we go. What kind of beer do you like? Heineken. Heineken? Fuck that shit! 
Pat's Blue Ribbon! (laughs) (laughs) It's so... (laughs) One of uh, Frank Booth Stooges, right after he says that, turns to Frank and he's like, Do you want me to go get the beer, Frank? (laughs) And Frank Booth responds with, No! I want you to fuck it! Get the (laughs) goddamn beer! (laughs) And it's disturbing, but it's funny. You shouldn't laugh at it, but it's just funny because... because This Hopper is so over the top. And here's the thing that I probably should have mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. Dennis Hopper was actually huffing whatever the gas was. (laughs) I do not know what it was. Originally, it was supposed to be um, laughing gas from a dentist's office, you know, or they right. kind of give you, it's not really laughing gas, but you know what Nitrous I mean. oxide, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was supposed to be. It was not that. Dennis Hopper has never actually said, never actually said what the gas was, but apparently it was real gas and he was really getting high and he was really remembering all of his lines as Frank Booth, or if not, he was so in character that it did not matter <laughs> because that's what they went with. And that was before, you know, they had prop gas and prop. Things. I don't know if Dennis Hopper would have true would have done that. Uh, Dennis Hopper pretty much spent most of the seventies high on cocaine. True. From all of the money he and, made filming Easy Rider. And then the eighties, he was drunk most of the time. I think so. No, actually, by that time, he had cleaned part of it. He had cleaned up, and that's one of the things that got him this role is Frank Booth, and then he goes and Mm. huffs the gas. But when it was over, he stayed clean, and he was clean pretty much until he he died. But, you know, I also loved him in Apocalypse Now. Definitely. Uh, He was really good friends with James Dean, because he was in Giant with James Dean. I believe he was also in Rebel Without a Cause. So Dennis Hopper had a huge career, the bad guy in Speed, and so um, I just always liked Dennis Hopper, but he definitely brought something to this character of Frank Booth. Mm, He was Frank Booth. That's actually what got him the role. Um, That's one of the things that I was talking about. Willem Dafoe was one of the actors in the running for Frank Booth. Oh, okay. And somehow Dennis Hopper got hold of the script and he called David Lynch and he said, um, he called him and he said, you have to let me play Frank. David Lynch said, okay, why? And he goes, because I am Frank. (laughs) And apparently David Lynch was quiet for a minute or so and he thought, oh shit, I can't not cast him. That could be bad for me. (laughs) (laughs) And so he cast him. And um, he he definitely played him perfectly. Nobody could have done that. Yeah, he uh, definitely did. And then um, I do have one more clip, which it takes place only a couple minutes after the Heineken scene and that we just played. And uh, Harry Dean Stanton's character gets a... Uh, plug in light for like working on the car and he turns it on and he lip syncs to Roy Orbison's in dreams. This is my favorite part. And Frank Booth is crying as he's lip syncing it. (laughs) And then they're done and they're going to leave. And this is where you're kind of thinking, okay, young Jeffrey's about to have some bad shit happen to him, 
which he did. Um, <laughs> oh God. Uh, I, I couldn't, I didn't want to play that one either just cause it was a little rough, but uh, before they leave to take young Mr. Jeffrey on a not fun trip, this is what uh, Dennis Hopper's character of Frank Booth says. And if I'm not mistaken, this was an ad lib because he had just done some huffing. So here we go. Now it's dark. That laugh is maniacal. It's perfect. (laughs) Heather can tell you that a lot of times if we're somewhere and someone turns out the lights, I'll go, now it's dark. And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. And then he goes on and beats the shit out of Jeffrey and informs him that if you piss him off, he'll send you a love letter. But you don't want a love letter from Mm -mm. him. Mm -mm. Because if he sends you a love letter, you are fucked. Your days are numbered. <laughs> but, yeah, he, uh... Anyway, Jeffrey ends up solving the crime. Uh, Frank Booth would have got away with it if it wasn't for those damn kids. <laughs> those pesky kids. Uh, but they did not have the dog that was at the beginning of the movie. That would have been funny if they did at the end. But, anyway. The Scooby-Doo Blue Velvet mashup I didn't know I needed until just now. No. <laughs> but. That's dark. Yeah. I can't really explain. I, it's supposed to be so serious, but everybody just plays it so weird. And because it's David Lynch. It's a very surreal movie anyway. Yeah. You have to assume that he wanted it to be that way. Well, and even the way it's filmed, it, it just. Yeah. It was supposed it, to be like film noir type of a situation. And I should probably... uh, Blue Velvet came out in 1986. It was the movie that David Lynch made after Dune, which Dune was a a fairly long movie, but it didn't do what everybody thought that it was going to do. And there um, there are some strong themes, and those themes are not funny. It's like the stuff surrounding those Mm -hmm. themes. That I find funny, just to be clear. I don't find a 20-year-old getting the shit beat out of him by a deranged gangster funny. But the acting about it and the way that Dennis Hopper plays it is so over the top that it's funny. But his character is definitely evil. He deserves a spot on that top 50 list. Villainous villains. Well, and he's sick. and Oh, I mean, deranged is definitely the word, but but also just sick in the head, like, mm. Yeah. Okay, let me see here. (laughs) Let me me just read this. Um, David Lynch explains, it says, Throughout the film, Frank Booth uses a medical mask and tube to inhale some kind of stimulant from an aerosol canister. The identity of this gas is subject to debate. Lynch's script specified helium, so I was wrong, it wasn't Mm. like... To raise Frank's voice and have it resemble that of an infant. <gasps> However, during filming, Hopper, an experienced drug user, claimed to have insight into Frank's choice of <laughs> drug and said that helium was inappropriate. Lynch later explained the change. I'm thankful to Dennis, because up until the last minute, it was going to be helium. To make the difference between Daddy and the 
baby that much more. It If you go and watch it, you'll understand. But I didn't want it to be funny. So Helium went out the window and became just aghast. Then, in the first rehearsal, Dennis said, David, I know it's in these different canisters. And I said, thank God, Dennis, that you know that. And he named all the gases. <laughs> and so... um in a 2002 special edition DVD version of the film, Dennis Hopper claimed that the drug was amyl nitrate, an angina medication used recreationally as an inhalant in the disco club scene. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah. And uh, to say that Dennis Hopper was an experienced drug user. That's putting it on. Yeah, he was the... Throughout the 70s, Dennis Hopper was probably the Snoop Dogg <laughs> of cocaine. Accurate. That, you know, well, Snoop Dogg is to marijuana. But uh, he did get clean, and he had a really great second ha mm -hmm. uh, half of his career. Also played the bad guy in Waterworld. Sad day when he died. He's one of my favorite actors, Dennis Hopper. He died same year my dad died, I think. Like uh, 2002. Anyway, because I remember, for whatever reason, both of I remember that happening that year. Uh, he died May 29th, 2010. See? So, yeah. Uh, he appeared in Giant, 1956. He was in Cool Hand Luke, Hang Em High. And then he uh, directed, star, wrote Easy Rider with Peter Fonda. Mm-hmm. Uh, which introduced us to Jack Nicholson. So if you like Jack Nicholson, thank Dennis Hopper. If you do not like Jack Nicholson, thank Dennis Hopper. And then he started making some... His second film was going to be the last movie, and there were some issues with the filming of that. There's a pretty good autobiography or a biography of Hopper that came out probably 1990-ish. It was pretty interesting. Definitely worth watching. He played the uh, drunk former basketball coach in Hoosiers. And so, and then he had three films that were released after he died. Alpha and Omega in 2010. The last film festival, in which came out in 2016. And then the long delayed, delayed The Other Side of the Wind 2018 is when that came out. So, yeah. Anyway, just a quick touch on, on the man Dennis Hopper. Once again, if you are a millennial or a Gen Z, you should watch uh, Blue Velvet. Just keep in mind that there are some very serious, serious things in that movie mixed with things that just because of the over-the-top and under-the-top acting, it's just funny, even though um, it's not supposed to be. Also, this is long before... Trigger warnings were a thing. This is long before, <laughs> right? Well, and, and let's face it, the 80s, there were so many inappropriate things that were done and said that it would never fly now. Yeah. I mean, and I was going to try to play a couple of sound blurbs from the SNL, Frank Booth's What's That Smell? But <laughs> I could not find that on YouTube. And I looked up a bunch of different ways. And so, you know, there's that. And then also, if you're on the YouTube. There's a YouTube channel called Analyzing Evil, and this guy goes in and he talks about all of these evil characters from various movies. Uh, Hannibal Lecter's one, and there are just several of them. And one of the ones that he uh, discusses is Frank Booth. It's called Analyzing Evil, Frank Booth from Blue Velvet, which is probably he did not spend a lot of time thinking of the title for that one. 
<laughs> but um yeah, so anyway, my millennial and Gen Z listeners, watch it and just remember that to have a laugh at the funny it's, scenes. See, I have a and a, you almost need to because the disturbing scenes are really disturbing and so it's helpful to have a laugh. Yeah. I have a funny little thing about that movie. Um Okay. And so you and I, for the listeners to know, we started dating when I was 17 and you were 18. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line, we we're hanging out and you were like, hey, let's watch this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Remember that? And so I, I'm, I vaguely we're, remember. We're watching the movie and basically... I, I found out later that you were kind of seeing what my reactions were to see if I was, you know, a keeper, basically. <laughs> she did laugh at the funny parts. And, and I was appalled the at the appalling parts. So I passed the test, obviously, because here we are 31 years later. Um, <laughs> so I passed. But so I, I, I say that to tell this part. When I worked at the museum, I was somehow we got on the subject of blue velvet. I'm not really sure why or how, but lunchtime conversations were strange there. And I mentioned it. And one of my coworkers, you know, I was talking about how I passed the test. You know, I laughed at all the laughable parts. And he goes, What? And I said, What? And he said, Blue Velvet is not a funny movie. And I said, yeah, it is. And he just looked at me like, I just killed his dog. You know, (laughs) he gave me the strangest look. And it's funny even to this day because we're friends still on Facebook. And he'll say, well, you think Blue Velvet is funny. So your opinion doesn't matter (laughs) or doesn't count. (laughs) Well, he's wrong. I agree. But, you know, but that I say that to explain to everybody that not everybody will feel the same about this movie as you and I do. And True, um, but that should explain why my youngest daughter has the dark sense of humor. <laughs> if you've listened to this podcast or Kenyatta and Jack Save the World, you know that she has a very dark sense of humor. This should probably partially explain where it came from, her mother. Mm, I'm sorry, what? What was that? Did you say Correction. something? You kind of got a little weird there with the audio. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think that was clear. I what? don't. What? I think Zoom? that Zoom. <laughs> Why are you recording weird? She, she got that from her mother. I think her mother. Her, I think you know my humor got darker once I met you. So right, don't give me that Just shit. <laughs> Just blame me. But with that. I think we've come to the end of the podcast, and Have it's going to make the way that I sound, sign off of every podcast all the more funny. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> so <laughs> I think today I might, I might change. Live in a way that makes Frank proud. <laughs> Remember, everybody, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross or Dennis Hopper proud. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button.